Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. This day was coming when I started 2 Samuel. We enter into some dark times now in the text of 2 Samuel. And I want to encourage you to bear with me because we're going to see in the next, well, weeks to come, 20 years in the life of David. 20 hard, difficult years that resulted from his sin. And I want you to pray through it and stay with me and uh, pray that the Lord would give me wisdom on how to present it. I I was concerned about it, but um, when I started studying 2 Samuel and writing 2 Samuel, because... There's a whole lot of sensitivities in chapter 11, 12, and especially chapter 13. And I want to be sensitive to um, the way things are today. But at the same time, I have to be true to the Word of God. So my adherence to Scripture is going to be certainly more primary than my sensitivities. But uh, we're going to see some uh, pretty tough stuff uh, beginning today. And if you've been in 2 Samuel with me all along, it's been kind of glorious hallelujah, hasn't it? I mean, we just went in victories with David. I mean, we've taken out Moabites, Ammonites. We've taken out all, everything but the mosquito bites. I mean, we've, uh, we've had at it. But uh, today, one commentator said of this section of 2 Samuel, it was David's descent into hell. And I don't think so. Uh, I think it might have been hell's ascent into David, but it's certainly not David's descent into hell. But it's painful, and it's hard, and we begin today with this uh, text of Scripture. So open up your Bibles to 2 Samuel 11. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab 
and his servants with him in all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness. And she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived, and sent and told David, and said, I am with child. Well, there's a whole lot of things to say, and we're going to say a few of them today. But one thing I want to say is, is the Bible holds nothing back, does it? It tells us about his people, warns us from the lives of his people, admonishes us, encourages us, and instructs us from the lives of his people. All scripture is profitable for us to help us to be servants of the Lord and to be exactly what God would have us to be. And these events take us forward for about 20 years in David's life. Sin such as this will always take you further than you want to go. It will always keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will always cost you more than you want to pay. This sin. This text grieves the heart of every believer. Um, we're going to have some broken-hearted times in here for the next several weeks. This is tough if we're going to be true to the text. This text breaks the heart of the Christian. Just like this sin of adultery does break hearts today, it broke hearts then. Now, I want to hasten to say David is a man after God's own heart. This is not some pagan, wicked, evil, sinful, idolatrous king. This is the sweet singer of Israel who gave us the Psalms. This is the man who wrote Psalm 23. This is the one who offered grace to Jonathan's son Mephibosheth because he wanted to show the nation what God is like. This is a man after God's own heart who fell into great sin. As a matter of fact, we're going to call these next several messages from these two chapters, A Man After God's Own Heart. 
Today we see a man after God's own heart committing sin. Next week, the Lord willing, we're going to see a man after God's own heart covering sin. How he tried to hide it. And then if the Lord wills and y'all hadn't run me off, and I hadn't run you off, we're going to see a man after God's own heart confessing sin. And then we're going to see in several messages through almost the end of the book, a man after God's own heart, the consequences of his sin. But today we see how does a Christian, a Christian man, a Christian woman, a born-again believer, a child of God, fall into sin? How does that happen? What are some red flags in my life and your life that pop up, show up when we are heading to a fall? One theological truth that we need to realize is, is that your salvation is not self-improvement. Did you hear what I said? It's not self-improvement. It is replacement. It is God taking your life and giving you Christ's life. And it is you coming out of the grave of sin, like Lazarus did, still wearing grave clothes. I'll just put it to you straight. You ready? Your sinful flesh as a Christian, is just as rotten and stinking and awful as any lost man's sinful flesh. You hear me? You, you don't become a Christian and all of a sudden you are self-improved. No, you still have that sinful flesh and a large part of the New Testament is teaching us how to put down that sinful flesh which has been crucified with Christ, buried, and we got to keep it buried. David went back to the old grave and dug it up here. And it brought him into sin. Paul, Paul, not Mike Barnett as imperfect as he is, but Paul, the epitome of the greatest theologian who ever lived. Paul, the greatest Christian who ever lived. Paul, Paul, Paul. The apostle said, in my flesh dwells nothing good. And if that's true of Paul, I promise you it's true of me and it's true of you. And so we've got to start out every day of our Christian walk and Christian life with that premise, that theological truth. The sinful flesh never improves. It is always just as rotten as it was the day and months before we became a Christian. It never improves. David was about 50 years old when this happened. He wasn't a spring chicken. He wasn't a 20-year-old anymore. He was a 50-year-old man who had walked with God and done marvelous exploits in the name of the Lord for the glory of God. And he went back to the grave yard 
and put on his sinful flesh and sinned greatly. And it impacted him for the next 20 years of his life. Adultery and lusts are not simply the sins of young men. Men. Well, I think it was Augustine who said, David's sin should warn us that none of us are above a fall, but it also should give us great joy because of the forgiveness of God. Well, today... Let's, uh, let's take a warning and let's consider the stages of sin. Uh, this sin, especially the sin of adultery and sexual sin. Um, next week, we're going to see how David covered up. You don't want to miss this cover-up. I mean, uh, the, the Bible is so uh, rich and, and instructive that uh, there's a lot of stuff in this cover-up that uh, we need to talk about. But today, let's talk about a man after God's own heart committing sin. Sir, first of all, you can write down the word commission. Commission. How can a Christian fall into such sin? How can it happen? Well, it happened to David, and it happens today in the same manner in which it happened to David. And it is the application of James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. It says, but every man, not just some men, not just lost men, but every man. You know what the Greek word every means there? Every. Every. Every man is tempted. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Let's take a look and see how that plays out in our life by looking at David's experience with it. First of all, David was drawn away of his own lust, and he was enticed. How does this happen? How does this happen that a man would, uh, can be drawn away of his own lusts? Well, let me give you a few things. First of all, there is omission from his life. He allows some important disciplines to be omitted from his life. Before he had a sin of commission, David engaged in sins of omission. Did you hear what I said? He omitted some things. And we see this in verses 1 through 3. David engaged in sins of omission, and he was drawn away by his own lusts. And enticed. First of all, I want you to notice he had taken off his spiritual armor. If you remember last week, we talked about how David uh, went to battle and won great victories, and uh, God was blessing him on the battlefield. And uh, we talked about how the Ammonites uh, came against him uh, because he was wanted to be gracious to them, and they were offended at it. And the Ammonites came against him, and they hired the Syrian army uh, to be their mercenaries along with them, paid them $25 million. And uh, David, uh, uh, Joab went to battle and won the battle, and then uh, the Syrians came back, and, and David personally went to battle to fight. But the enemy of the Ammonites 
had not been dealt with. They had fled from Joab, and they were still a force to be reckoned with, and it was time to go to their capital and put them down so they could no longer come against him. That's what chapter 11, verse 1 speaks of. They were, it was time to go to Rabbah, the capital of the Ammonites, and defeat them on the battlefield. David sent Joab and did not go himself. He did not put the armor on. He put his pajamas on. And he got in his lazy boy rather than in his battle gear. He omitted his armor. And his rest turned into his ruin. His walk became his wickedness. And his sight became a stare. His look turned to lust. And he sent for Bathsheba after sending Joab to be on the battlefield in his place. You omit the fight. You get lazy in your Christian life and you fail to put on the armor of God. You are heading to a fall. If you omit the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, if you admit the shield of faith, if you admit the fullness of the Holy Spirit, if you omit prayer, if you omit gathering with God's people on a weekly basis at least to fellowship with them and be encouraged and challenged and rebuked and corrected and edified by the Word of God with the people of God, you are omitting some things that will remove your armor and put you in a position of falling away. These are the things you do not want to omit from your life. Put on the whole armor of God. Pray. Be in the Word of God. Study. Walk circumspectly and carefully in this world. David omitted some things. Well, there's a second thing that enables a Christian to fall into sin, even to this magnitude. Not only is there omission, but there are obstacles that he overcomes. God puts some things in our way, folks. He really does. Oh, if David had just stopped when he glanced across the rooftops and saw beautiful Bathsheba, if he had just stopped and, and, and reckoned himself to be dead to sin as Romans 6 instructs the Christian, just stopped and said to himself, lust, flesh, you are, you are bringing this lust upon me. I'm a child of God. I don't have to submit to you. You have been crucified and dead and buried. I don't have to submit to you. I need to submit to God. And I need to yield to God in this. And walked away, took drastic action and walked away. Only if David had done that, we would not be where we are today on a dark day. But he didn't do it. And I will tell you this. On this day in David's life on that rooftop, God automatically powerfully, obviously, put forth two major obstacles for David that he walked around, crawled under, went over the top of, kicked down these two obstacles. You see, the Bible says there is no temptation taking you 
But such is as common to man. David did not experience any temptation that, that was, was the first time. And neither do we. There is no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. But God will with the temptation provide a way of escape. God provided at least two ways of escape for David. The first is the obstacle of love. The obstacle of love. Who was this woman Bathsheba? Well, the Bible goes to great lengths to tell us who Bathsheba was. The Bible says she was the daughter of a man by the name of Eliam or Eliam. Eliam. If you will mark down 2 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 7, you will see that when David went to war, or Joab went to war, he took Joab's, Joab took his mighty men, David's mighty men. The mighty men we're going to preach on later on at the end of 2 Samuel. I'm looking so forward to that. It's one of my favorite uh, messages in this series. But uh, David's mighty men, there were 37 mighty men. 37 mighty men, most of which were with David from the very beginning. In other words, when David was on the run from Saul, having to live in caves, Saul trying to kill him before he was ever anointed king, these were men who put their lives in David's hands and said, we're not going to be loyal to that wicked King Saul. We're going to be loyal to you, David. And David might have looked at him and said, you know, you're going to lose your homes. You're going, to, you're going to have to live on the run. You're going to have to live as a fugitive. You're going to live in caves. And, and, and your families are going to suffer for it. And they said, we're here to serve you. You're the rightful king. And we give you our lives, David. 37 men started out. It, it built up as time went on. But originally, 37 mighty men that David referred to as his mighty men. They did great exploits for the king. 2 Samuel 23 lists them by name. Eliam was one of them. This was a man who was loyal to David. And David had a love for those mighty men. Bathsheba was his daughter. God threw up and said, that's the daughter of Eliam, David. You sure you want to go through with this? Do you remember Eliam, the faithful man who came to you when you were nothing, was with you from the beginning? There's another factor about this love. Eliam was the son of a man by the name of Ahithophel. Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. And in 2 Samuel 16, the Bible says that Ahithophel was one of David's counselors. David trusted Ahithophel so much that the Bible says that when Ahithophel spoke, people took it as if it were the very words of God. So Bathsheba's father was one who supported David in the battlefield. 
Bathsheba's grandfather was somebody who supported David in the court. When he needed a war, he called Eliam, Bathsheba's father. When he needed wisdom, he called Ahithophel, uh, Bathsheba's grandfather. These were people loyal to David. David's one of David's greatest lawyer, uh, warriors and David's greatest counselor. And after this sin, Ahithophel's relationship changes. We're going to see Ahithophel in a tragic light soon. But oh, the obstacle, the obstacle. David, it's Eliam's daughter. Ahithophel's granddaughter. This is a family that loves you. This is a family that's loyal to you. This is a family that's been from you, with you since you were nothing. They had faith in you. They helped you. They promoted you. They served you. And you're going to do this. Where is your love for them, David, that you would do such a thing? Obstacle. And then there's a third person. He, she is the wife of Joab. Or, I'm sorry, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Bathsheba was married to Uriah, the Hittite. Uriah was one of the 37 mighty men. Father-in-law and son-in-law serving together the king. And also Uriah was a Hittite. He wasn't born a Jew. This is going to play out next week. Don't, don't miss next week. We got to talk about this Hittite next week. But here he is one of David's mighty men, and he is a convert to Judaism. He is no longer serving the gods of the Hittites. But this man had seen David on the battlefield. This man had seen David offering mercy and grace to his enemies. This man had seen how David led God's people, Israel, compared to how the pagan, wicked, idolatrous kings of the Hittite nation led their people. And he said, there's something unique about David. There's something unique about the God of David. I want to become a Jew and serve David. And he is a convert to the Lord. The obstacle of love. David, if you commit this great sin, David, don't you see the obstacle? People who have served with you for years, it will hurt them and devastate them. David, this young man, uh, uh, your counselor who has given you wisdom and walked with you through hard times, who gave you wisdom during the days when you had just become king, during the days of, of the civil war against uh, Ishbosheth and Abner. David, Ahithophel has been with you. You're going to offend him. You're going to hurt him. You're going to devastate him. And David, what about this brand new Christian who's wanting to walk with the Lord at your witness? And now you're going to do something like this. Where's the obstacle? How are you going to kick it down, David? David, I'm throwing an obstacle in your way. Gentlemen, Adultery will devastate every relationship you love. It'll devastate it. David devastated these relationships. 
We're going to see next week he winds up murdering Uriah the Hittite. We're also going to see soon that Ahithophel turns against him because of this. The obstacle of love. Before you yield to temptation and sin, think about those you love. And what the effect it will have on them. But there's a second obstacle. And it's the obstacle of law. The obstacle of law. Verse 3. David inquired of the woman. And one said, this is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam. You know Eliam, David. Ahithophel's boy. Love. And then there's one word, one word in verse 3 that should have stopped David cold in his tracks, that should have turned him back, that should have been an impenetrable, impenetrable obstacle. Wife. Wife. You see that? Wife. The first obstacle he violated, love thy neighbor as thyself. The second obstacle he violated, thou shalt not commit adultery. That one word, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, should have put up that obstacle and turned his mind and his heart to repentance, put him back in his bedroom, put him back in his armor where he would have said, I was about to violate the Ten Commandments. I was about to put on hold my allegiance to God's Word for this moment of passion. I must put the armor back on and get on the battlefield. But no, David kicked down this thing. He kicked down the obstacle of love and he kicked down the obstacle of law. And went forward with it. Sermon within a sermon. Jesus gave us a full interpretation of the seventh commandment. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. That's where it begins in the heart with a look. But the Christian has the indwelling Holy Spirit. And gentlemen, when we sin and it begins in our heart, He immediately puts this obstacle up for us in our hearts and in our minds. When the look is lust, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And convinces us all, this is sin. Don't go further. Don't go further. Don't let, don't let your heart run amok on you. The Holy Spirit does that. You say, well, preacher, he doesn't me. Then you're not saved. You're not saved. Because if you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, he convinces you and convicts you of sin the moment it gets started and where it gets started in your heart. 
That's the Christian. That's for the Christian. He puts up this obstacle. He puts it up. I had a man one day. We were taking a walk. Long walk. Me and this gentleman. And he asked me a question. He said, how do you know when you're looking at a woman that it's lust? And I said to him, that is, uh, that's not a dumb question. It's a dishonest question. Because if you're saved, you know it. You know it. The Holy Spirit convinces you. You don't have to come to First Baptist Church on the 10th of September 2023 to know what it is. The Holy Spirit, your teacher, teaches you this. And when the Holy Spirit is an obstacle, and love is an obstacle, and the law of God is an obstacle, you have a choice to make, dear brother and sister. David had a choice to make. He could yield the members of his body, eyes, and everything else to the Lord as one who has been resurrected from the dead unto new life in Christ. Or he could yield his members to the flesh. This is Romans 6. And David has a choice to make. He can apply 1 Corinthians 10, 13, just like you and I can, where it says, God will provide a way of escape. And you could say, God, show me the way of escape. And he will, and he probably already has. Joseph found his way of escape. You know what? Take off out the door. Get out of it. Amen. Run. Don't go there. And you'll be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, flee fornication. Guys, let me tell you something, and, and girls too. Don't be dabbling around thinking you can whoop up on sexual sin. The Bible says, run from it. The greatest Old Testament saint, one of the greatest Old Testament saints, Joseph, ran from sexual sin. You run from it, amen? You flee from it. Well, I can handle it. How's that working out for you, David? Well, Romans 6, 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. You have a choice. You're saved. You don't have to let the old sinful flesh wear the crown in your heart. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Rather, yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, as you are in Christ Jesus, resurrected to a new life. Yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. But David chose to kick down the obstacles and move forward. He just did it like General Patton. Just grow through it. So, the next thing. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. Verse 4. 
Let's see how lust conceived and brought forth sin. David was walking on the rooftop rather than warring on the battlefield. And the Bible says David saw and then he sent. He saw, then he sent. Go home when we're done and read through this chapter. And every time you see the word sent or some form circulate, it's a key ver- word and key verb in chapter 11. A lot of sending is going on. As a matter of fact, it's used 11 times in 13 verses. There's a lot of sending going on in this chapter. We're going to see a lot of sending next week, Lord willing. A lot of sending. He sent his army to battle when he should have led them to battle. He sent to ask who this woman was when he should have looked the other way. He sent to acquire Bathsheba, who she was, and um, when he should have left her alone. As a matter of fact, look at verse 4. He sent his workers, his servants, to go get her, to take her. That's what it says. And David sent messengers and took her. You know what's interesting about that word took? Y'all remember the sermon on Mephibosheth a couple of weeks ago? And the Bible says David sent and fetched him. It's the same Hebrew, or, uh, yeah, same Hebrew word used for David sending for Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. So the, the word used for David showing us the grace of God is the same word used for David showing us how a man falls into sin. Isn't that an amazing thing? With as much passion to show forth the grace of God and the cause of Christ, David showed that much passion or more toward his sin. We must be careful about our passions, dear brother. We must be careful. And so he sent. David uh, did not flee fornication. He sent for adultery. Very interesting. The most holy and happy use of this word is in chapter 9. And now the most horrid, unholy use of this word is in chapter 11. Verse 4 says that, or the the Bible says he looked out and Bathsheba was um, taking a bath. And... This is where I, I needed some help. I, I, I knew what I needed to say and, and how I needed to approach this, but I had to talk. I've been, I've been um, living with a great theologian for about 36 years and who understands people, you know. And So we were talking about this text. You know... We're going to read through this, and I hope you stay with me. We're going to get into chapter 12. and um, Bathsheba becomes one of David's 
with the best wife he has. God uses her in a great way. But in the beginning, it, it certainly doesn't look good. And, and people have been critical of Bathsheba for, for bathing on the porch upstairs. Okay? Uh, and, but you read the text, and, and one question that arises is the consequences of this sin and the, and the, 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 the judgment that David endures in chapter um, 11 and between chapter 11 and chapter 12. We'll talk about that next week. There's not much said about Bathsheba suffering through all this. Not a lot said. And uh, so I, I was, you know, debating that in my mind and praying over that. And, and uh, um, I think there's several, a couple of reasons for that. First of all, Bathsheba did suffer. She lost her husband. And second of all, she lost a child. And I will tell you, I believe love grew between David and Bathsheba. I really do. I, I, I think God restored them and used them in a great way, which is a wonderful part of the grace of God. And we'll talk about that more in weeks to come. But, um, and we're going to, one thing we're going to say is, is don't let, don't ever though, don't take warning of this, don't ever let the outcome of something be the determining factor of whether or not that's the will of God. Adultery is never in the will of God. Okay, regardless of how it may turn out in 20 years. You follow me? We'll talk more about that in a few weeks. But I think there's something here, uh, th this, this, we're dealing with the adultery. Next week, we're going to deal with the murder. And, and pretty much, that's what impacted David's life more than this adultery, although it impacted him and impacted him. Don't, don't, don't hear me saying it didn't. It was a sin of, of, of passion. And so I was talking to Tracy. Miss Tracy, why do you think? And, you know, David was the king. The king, probably very intimidating, wouldn't you say? And, and probably one that, that, I mean, the king has sent for you. The king has sent for you. And while we cannot excuse Bathsheba's complicity in this, There just doesn't seem to be as much ramification upon her. Although there's there. It's sad. It hurts. But David, he led out in this. He instigated in this. You follow me? You might disagree with me. And that's fine. Talk to Tracy. I'm not going to deal with it. But a whole lot of sendings going on. Then there's verse 5. Well, let me back up and tell you. These people, once again, David and Bathsheba, they were not religious 
pagans. They were God's people. They were followers of the law. Notice verse 4. It says that she came unto David and lay with him because she was purified from her uncleanness. And the law dictated that after a woman had completed her cycle, then she could lay with a man. And the narrator puts this in apparently because her and David had this conversation. And that process after the cycle was completed for her. And it's very amazing how they followed the letter of the law of God to a certain extent. But when it came time to yield to their lust and passions, they forgot the law of God. You see, you can be obedient to God's word in many areas and violate it in one and basically you violated it in the whole thing. That's what the book of James teaches us. Because it is God who gives it. And your sin against the word of God is ultimately a sin against God. Because it's his law. You follow me? That's an interesting truth. Interesting part of the text. But then in verse 5. Bathsheba does the sending now. In words that probably shot through the heart of David like a spear. She sent and told David, I am with child. Now I want you to hear this. And I want you to get this down. Without sin, this natural consequence of conception would have been joyous and happy and right in line. But because of sin, this is disturbing. This is disturbing. Let me share something with you, especially you young people. Sex is a gift from God for marriage. And sex is like a fire. In the right place and the right time, it will warm your house. But in the wrong place and the wrong time, it'll burn your house down. Did y'all get that? Can I get an amen on that? Because that's good preaching whether you think it's inappropriate or not. And by the way, we're preaching the text. Amen. That's what God called me to do and you've been paying me to do it for 22 years and I'm not going to change now because of the subject. But I want to say this and you get this down. This child and Bathsheba's womb was not the consequence of sin. The child was the consequence of natural sexual intercourse. The sex was the sin. The adultery was the sin. But this child was created in the image of God. 
This child fulfilled a great purpose on God's earth. As a matter of fact, this child lived for just a few months, but did more for the glory and the name of God than many have done their whole lives. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? You've got to come back in a couple of weeks, and I'll tell you exactly what I mean by that. But I want to tell you, dear friend, this child was used by God. This child was created in the image of God, and God had a purpose for this child. And he used this child for his glory. But I can also see where David would be troubled by this. How do I know he was troubled? Because of what he did next, which we'll talk about next week. Well, James 1 says... But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And when it is finished, it brings forth death. There's a lot of death in the next few sections of Samuel. A lot of death that you can tie back to David's murder and even his adultery. And so let me give you a few lessons. And then I want to show you Jesus in all of this. First of all, the name of the Lord is not mentioned at all in chapter 11 by David. The only thing we have is the last sentence which says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. But God is not mentioned in this whole account here. Can a man after God's own heart get away from God? So much so that it seems as if God plays no part in his life. Absolutely. The flesh of a Christian, another lesson, is not, it, 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 not dormant. It is just as vile and sinful and will lead the Christian to the same sin and defilement as it does a lost man. You are not immune because of your sinful flesh, and I am not either. Take heed lest you fall. And David was 50 years old. It is never too late to fall. Another lesson is, is if you are not in the fight, you're heading for a fall. Don't omit any discipline of the Christian life. Omission will lead to commission, as it did with David. Never omit the Word of God out of your daily experience. Never omit prayer, fellowship with God. Never omit the accountability of a church family. You need a church family. You need a church family. Where, wouldn't it have been something if David had somebody he could call from that rooftop and say, man, I'm having a hard time right now. Well, dummy, get off the roof. He needed accountability. He didn't have any. You know, the king at that moment thought he had no accountability. That's why God's not mentioned. He didn't even think he was accountable to God. But in two weeks, he's going to find out he is. And then another thing, when you do not seize the way of escape, 
and you kick down the roadblocks, you kick down the obstacles. Lust will conceive sin and it will not stop. It is a relentless enemy. And then another question is, is this you, sir? Ma'am, is this you? Repent now. Now we're going to see in two weeks that God sent the preacher to see David in chapter 12. And Nathan the prophet comes to see David. And he's so wise in his approach to David. And we'll talk about that. But he finally looks at David and says, Thou art the man. You're the one who's done this sin. And David, David repents. And David receives forgiveness of God. Thank God for his forgiveness. David murdered a man. David lied. David committed adultery. David, all of these things. David had awful, despicable sins that even the most pagan presidents we've ever had had tried to cover up. And David tried to cover up, but he repented at the word of God. He heard the word of God. God sent him a Nathan. Let me ask you something, sir, ma'am. Am I your Nathan today? Am I your Nathan today? David said, I have sinned. And then Nathan says on the authority of the word of God, the Lord hath put away your sin. That's what forgiveness is. God puts it away. The guilt of it. There will be consequences. We'll talk about that. That's inevitable. But the guilt and the broken relationship you have with God, God says, I've put it away. I've put it away. That's where Jesus is in this. That's the cross. That's the grace of God for the Christian. That's 1 John 1, 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. No, thou shalt be forgiven and restored. Yes, God forgives the Christian. He wants fellowship with you. Some years ago, I was lecturing on 1 John 1, 9 and, uh, in the classroom, and the Lord just put it on my heart to talk about sexual sin and the need to be forgiven by God and to repent from it. And so I walked away from the lecture notes and just started to preach. A professor can do that. And uh, that's what I did. And Dismissed the class, and after the class, a young man waited around for me. And he said, can I talk to you? And he said, I'm a man who's married, and I have children. And he said, I'm in an adulterous relationship right now. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in church. He said, I... I know, I'm, I, know, I know the Lord. I know I'm saved because I feel miserable and I feel a wreck and my life is just upside down. And he said, I used to blame my wife 
in my family situation for that. But now, tonight, I realize it's me and my sin that has wrecked my life. And he said, do you think God will forgive me? And God can let me repent and change. And I told him, I said, yes, sir. And I said, does your family know about this? And he said, oh, yeah, my wife knows. They all know. My mom and daddy know. And I said, well, you go to them tonight and you apologize to them. You confess it to God right now and you apologize to them and repent. Put yourself under some accountability and uh, see what happens. Well, I never saw that young man again. Never saw him again. So I don't know what happened. But that's good. Well, what's going to happen to you? That leaves it open-ended. How are you going to finish that man's story? David repented and God said, I'm no longer holding your sin against you. There's some consequences because it impacts relationships, David, that you will face. And my name has been blasphemed. But David, you are my child. You are forgiven. And I have not revoked my covenant with you. That's the grace of God for the Christian. That's it. You may have a decision to make. Maybe you need to quit kicking against that obstacle and stop right now. You need to quit going by that woman's desk at work. You need to quit making that phone call unnecessarily. You need to get back with the wife of your youth and let her give you joy and pleasure and meet your needs and you meet hers and you be faithful to her. Because I want to tell you something, folks. There's some devastating things that are coming about even after the grace of God. Be aware of that. Let's stand for our song of appeal. Mm -hmm.